You're listening to the Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Well, hello and welcome back to the Parenting Junkie Show. Thank you so much for tuning in here. I just need to express my gratitude because I know how overwhelmed you must be with all of the shouting voices and all of the different podcasts and books and videos and social media channels that are calling to you as they are calling to me. And it seems, at least in my world, as though there's been this increase in the level of frenzy in the level of speed that information is coming at us, in the level of speed that change uh, and massive change is coming at us. And it's kind of going to play into what I want to address today. Today, I want to uh, offer you a little bit of a breakdown of my own interpretation of the social media landscape at the moment and what I think might serve us, especially as parents, as people um, who absolutely must maintain their sanity and mental health health. All of us must. Uh, It just becomes even more essential when you're responsible for other people's sanity and mental health as parents are. Um, In this ever-changing and kind of unprecedented landscape of the online world. Um, And I'm saying this uh, just after coming off of a two-week break that my team and I uh, make every effort to take. Around twice a year we do that. And what that basically means is we don't put out content. We're not checking in uh, nearly as often on social media. You know, we erase the apps. We don't interact much with the comments. And I did check in a few times. I did one webinar. Um, But I was much, much, much less engaged uh, than I might usually be. And apart from my, you you know, core, uh, deep, personal, intimate work that I do in my group coaching in Alchemize and that I do in my private coaching. And apart from being present for my present players um, to an extent during this time, I really was uh, less engaged in the larger social media landscape. And it's, you know, it's a never ending negotiation that our generation is dealing with of, you know, our relationship with screen use in general. And today I'm going to talk about social media in particular. And of course, all of the things I'm saying here about us adults is relevant for how we show up and how we show up for ourselves and our children. And but also perhaps for things that we want to consider as our children grow into an age that they are using uh, these mediums as well. So yeah, so we've just come off of this break. And one of the things that you hear from people when they come off social media breaks, uh, and we hear this often in our, in my group, people will say, I've just taken, you know, a month off of Facebook and it was amazing, but I missed you guys so much and I had to come back. Um, people say it was amazing. They say it was liberating. They say they felt good. So I'm going to just <laughs> start with a little disclaimer and put this to one side to say that I think there is plenty of good to be found on social media. Um, I think that media in general, screens in general, you know, these are huge concepts that hold a lot of different things within them. But just generally speaking, they're tools, right? And as all tools, a knife, say, they can be used uh, for good and they can be used for evil, you know, or for bad, or they can be used healthily or unhealthily, effectively or ineffectively, etc. And I've seen so much, especially personally through my own work, so much good that can come uh, from the use of these technologies, right? So much uh, ability to seek the advice and the connection and the insight and the validation and the information 
that one needs uh, that one other would otherwise would not be able to get. So I know that there is so much to be gained from, uh, you know, from the groups and from the platforms, um, a lot of inspiration, a lot of ideas, a lot of solutions, a lot of ways to meet people or to keep up with people uh, that we wouldn't otherwise keep up with. And so what I'm about to say is not a, you know, all or nothing. And I hope that nothing I ever say comes across as all or nothing or as dogmatic, because that's something I stand very firmly against is dogma. Um, so what I'm about to say is not all or nothing. And it's not purely in judgment uh, of the negativity around social media. But I do want to focus a little bit on that uh, and see what are some of the negative things that I'm seeing coming up? And why do people feel so refreshed when they take a break? And how is that relevant to us as parents? So there does seem to be quite a lot of research, uh, even longitudinal and causal uh, research, where they're actually finding links, causational and not just correlational links between social media and anxiety. And frankly, this shouldn't come as much of a surprise to anyone who's used Instagram or Facebook or Twitter before, right? There is something uh, inherently anxiety-provoking about being exposed to information at that speed, at that breadth and width, you know, um, horizontal aspect of all the different types of information. You come onto a platform, you know, when you used to read a newspaper or read a book or watch a movie even, you knew what you were getting into. When you come onto social media, you don't know what's going to hit you, what kind of tragedy you're suddenly going to see, what kind of movement you're suddenly going to be exposed to, what kind of individual and personality and story and, um, you know, just how personal some of those things are or how uh, violent or sexual in, in content they might be, etc. So a lot of it is about just we don't know what we're going to encounter. But then there's all of the social anxiety, right? Like how are highlight reels compared to other people's? Um, a lot of comparisonitis and FOMO and just all the fears that are, that are there. And, you know, unfortunately, my own perception is that media in general, um, ch you know, channels in general, even including my own, uh, have to or, or choose to play into sens sensationalization, right? Making things more uh, extreme than they need to be. That's what clickbait means. That's why we use provocative terminology in titles of articles, of videos, um, etc. Because we want people to engage and, and, and it works, right? Human psychology is not that complicated to understand in that regard. We are drawn to things that are novel and surprising and shocking, uh, particularly on the negative side, right? Like scary, frightening, sad, uh, outrageous <laughs> and enraging. And those are the things that are going to be kind of touted the most on social media. And so it's kind of what we're signing up for when we join. There's also some evidence that more anxious people tend towards using social media. So it might be skewed a little bit as well, the information and the data, but it does seem to be incredibly clear that not only does social media spike anxiety, but the more we use it, the more anxious we get. Uh, and the same goes for depression, right? It, it puts us into depression. It can leave us feeling helpless, isolated. Ironically, on social media, we start to feel more isolated, more alone, more misunderstood. Um, and it, we get severe FOMO about information we're missing because there's always that article that we didn't finish reading or that post we saved and we never got back to or the video we wanted to watch. Uh, FOMO about popularity, right? Other people at parties, other people with friends, other people with, 
great lives that we don't have. Um, FOMO about whatever it is, events, the news, whatever we might be missing out on. Fear of missing out is FOMO in case anyone um, hadn't heard that term. And so we get flooded with a lot of that, right? We get flooded with other people's highlight reels where we're seeing basically a a literally picture perfect snapshot of their lives. And then our brains can't help but subconsciously uh, project that onto their entire life. Like that stunning picture of them at the beach means that they're always stunning and always at the beach and always beautiful and always happy uh, and always, you know, looking so in love and so uh, at ease uh, with one another and that type of thing. And it just becomes this uh, bizarre skewing of the reality that everybody's lives are complex. Everybody... um, is nuanced and faces challenges and sometimes does not show up at the best as the best versions of themselves. That's just not what happens on social media. Often even the vulnerable posts and the, you know, the exposing posts and the people who are trying to keep it real and show us their messy sides, uh, those too, by the nature of things, are edited, are cropped, are chosen, right? We choose which vulnerabilities are endearing, which vulnerabilities actually paint us in a better light because now people see how real and authentic we are. It's a very kind of (laughs) layered mind game and and you can go deeper and deeper in this. But the fact is that whatever you're seeing on social media is always going to be editorial. It's always going to have an agenda. It's always going to be a crop of a very much more complex, rich, nuanced and layered reality of someone's existence. Uh, And we're only going to see a snapshot of that. And then we're going to kind of (laughs) just fill in the gaps, right? The gestalts uh, from that and assume, make a lot of assumptions about that person. We do that with the pictures that they post, with the opinions that they post, with the links that they share. Uh, we kind of think that we're getting to know someone or that we understand why they think the way they think or what they actually think um, and all of that stuff, which is just, honestly, it's ludicrous when we really think about it, right? None of us can be summed up in a few posts or in a few sentences or in a few photographs or in a few videos even, or even in hundreds of those things because we're all so much more complex um, than any of those things would ever suggest. I'm personally seeing a lot of, I'll call it the shadow sides, the the kind of the dangerous sides, the uh, unattractive sides of social media at the moment coming coming to the forefront in a stronger and more powerful way. And I say this as someone who has had incredible and most meaningful, satisfying, in depth interactions with my own community uh, through our group. Uh, In our group, in messages that people send me, I have been a benefactor of social media. Not only have I built a lot of my business using social media, but I've also personally benefited from the interactions with other people there. And I have found them to be very human and very real and very um, impactful on, on our lives. Uh, when I have, you know, group sessions or posts that people are sharing vulnerably about their lives and we're all kind of weighing in and supporting them and offering mindset shifts and reframes and that kind of thing, I don't discount that as shallow or as meaningless. So I want to be very nuanced and careful with my words here because I have certainly benefited and continue to benefit. 
However, you may feel a little bit like me that there's been a shift recently where the cons have begun to outweigh the pros, at least for me personally and for me and my business as well. Um, my team and I have been discussing this and we're trying to think about next steps and how we want to respond to that and whether we want to respond to that um, and whether we want to actually take steps to shift our focus away from certain platforms because of uh, the rise in, perhaps you might call it, toxicity uh, that's going on in those platforms. One of the things that I think leads to this is the anonymity of social media. Even if you do have your a picture of your face and your name um, there, and many people don't, right? Many people don't show who they are and or, or use a fake name or a pseudonym, etc. There is still a high level of anonymity that I think we have not evolved for. Generally speaking, we have not yet evolved. This is a very new phenomenon in terms of, you know, how long humans have been developing for and how long we've actually been using social media. It's, it's not even a blip on the radar yet. Um, and I frankly think we haven't figured it out at all yet. I think we're in this kind of, maybe the toddler years, maybe not even yet. Maybe we're still in that fourth trimester where <laughs> everything's still really not, not acclimated, not adjusted to reality and to to planet Earth. Um, and I'm talking about how young this technology is um, and how young our adaptation to it is. It's still not adapted at all. And I think you see that in a powerful way. I think that the that probably the challenges and the and the cons and the difficulties and the uh, the misuse, the insanity, the unhealthy use of social me media, the, the anxiety-provoking, depression-provoking use is outweighing um, the benefits that can be achieved and are achieved and I've achieved um, in social media for the most part. And I don't have the evidence to back that up. That's just a hunch. But I think part of it is anonymity. And I'll just go in briefly to some of the things that I'm talking about so you know what I mean. And I'm sure that you've seen some of this go on as well if you are on those platforms. Um, when people are face-to-face, -face, we have evolved to read a lot of different cues about someone, right? Um, we communicate almost primarily through body language and tone of voice. Uh, even more so than the words that we say. We are evolved to taking in subconsciously so much of what is in an interaction and literally um, reading someone uh, far beyond the words that they're saying. And for the most part on social media, particularly when we're interacting, interacting in comments, for example, um, that's completely erased. And we're just not equipped, not able, it's impossible in fact, to decipher the tone, uh, the intonation, the cadence, the intensity, the volume that someone's speaking at, uh, and to understand the energy they're coming from. And what we see, what I'm seeing, is time after time in communities, and I call them communities, but really it's not a community when you're just on, on some Facebook page, right? It's only a community. I think, let's say, what's happening in present play is, is much more true a form of community because people have gathered 
um, for a purpose, right? Communities have some sense of purpose, of joint purpose, of joint values. Um, and th that only happens with a lot of intentionality and a lot of curation and a lot of guidance around that. But simply being on Facebook, you know, or wherever it is, Twitter, is not a community. However, what I'm saying is that what I see is that people assume um, so much around a conversation. And it's kind of that physical phenomenon of the of a black hole that where there's a vacuum, something will rush in to fill it, right? And when there's a vacuum that we can't decipher tone and body language and context and history and the relationship of reciprocity that we have with that person um, and the, the situation that we happen to find ourselves in in that conversation when all of that context for the conversation is missing and we judge um, a person, in fact, based on the way they've strung together a few words, a few words of what they've said or a story that they've told or a link that they've posted. Um, to me, that is just uh, and really a, a psychological impossibility for us to get that right or for us to do that well. Uh, all of the nuance is missed. All of the nuance is missed. And if you think about the way that we've evolved conversationally, you are in conversation with people that you are local to. I mean, even the telephone is really very, very, very new in terms of technology uh, and in terms of evolution, right? We're evolved to have conversations face-to-face. -face. When you have conversations face-to-face, -face, there is so much more at stake. It matters so much more the way that you treat the other person. I mean, you could be physically endangered if you don't treat them with respect, but you also stand to gain so much more from treating them with respect. And that has all fallen by the wayside when we just hide behind comments, right? Hide behind a screen. It's this... Um, this keyboard heroism, right, where we're writing things, but we're not able to really contextualize them or be nuanced or put them in a human uh, conversation. And we're able to reduce people from these complex uh, humans into just, you know, an opinion or a sentence or a vote or a, a link or a like or a emoji, right? It's, uh, it's such a it's such a fundamentally fake, not real, in the sense of not real, form of interaction and communication because it's missing all of that weight, all of the, that information of who this person is, what the context is, you know, how am I in a relationship to them, etc. And so I think that anonymity also makes people simply not accountable for what they say and do in a strange way. And I'll talk about that accountability from the flip side. Um, in, in one, on, one, on the one hand, we are completely unaccountable for the things that we say online. Like we can make claims that are slanderous or libelous or uh, gross generalizations or gross st stereotypical uh, claims um, that we're not held accountable for. You can make those opinions. We don't need to bring evidence for it. We don't need to back it up. Uh, we don't need to put it into a context or make it make sense. And all of our information seems to be incredibly dumbed down. The conversations seem to be incredibly dumbed down in that sense, that they lack complexity, they lack, uh, they lack nuance, they lack diversity of thought and critical thinking on social media platforms. I see this in the realm of parenting in a really powerful way where people make kind of generalized memes or generalized statements, not understanding that every child is different, every adult is different, every situation is different. And 
it's okay. It's certainly okay to come up with mantras and memes and general ideas, but we have to evolve ourselves to the point where we can see them and contextualize them and have the critical thinking and the discernment uh, to cherry pick and understand, well, does that apply for me? And in what way does it apply to me? And is it even speaking to me in the first place? Does this even, uh, was it even for me? Right. Um, Because now we live in a society that you need to make a a million disclaimers to anything you say, because (laughs) you have to somehow magically make it apply to everyone. But the trouble there is that we just haven't um, gained that type of skin, that type of filter that is necessary for a social media world where we understand that people aren't necessarily talking directly to us. And we'll talk about that a little bit more soon. The flip side of the complete lack of accountability and the complete lack of uh, and the complete anonymity of social media is a bit of a strange flip side is the total accountability and the uh, live foreverness aspect of it. Right. There is, uh, again, something we are not evolved for is the idea that the words we say are recorded forever. (laughs) I mean, you've got to really, your heart has to go out to teenagers today, um, to kids and teenagers today, because uh, for most of us, when we were teenagers, you could still make mistakes in your life and do silly things as almost all teenagers do, right? You could be irresponsible or say stupid things or just be, you know, a underdeveloped human being as most people are at that stage in their lives. And there is not the concern that that then goes on the record forever and ever, or that that can somehow be blown up and disproportionately held against you. Um, We are evolved for conversations that happen face-to-face and typically in private settings, and that can't be recorded, right? That's, again, a very new technology. And so we're evolved to trust that the things we say are going to be within a certain uh, situation to certain people uh, and have a certain level of privacy. And so suddenly when things need to go online and we realize that at any at any point, it can be shared, it can be misconstrued, it can be taken out of context, it can be taken out of the person it was meant for and now be spread to everybody else, etc. Um, it's just, again, my commentary isn't, you know, necessarily so, you know, positive or negative around this. It's not so much a judgment as an observation that we have not figured out how to handle that. We're not, we're not used to that. <laughs> we're not adapted to it. And A lot of issues, a lot of communication issues seem to be coming from that. So so there's a real lack of nuance, a real lack of discourse, um, a lot of inflation of terminology, right? Using terminology so loosely is something I talk about often. I talk about the power of words, and I'm sure I do it. You know, I sin in this regard as well. But just the idea that one term can now mean something completely different. And I think we're all very lax about the way that we use, oh, I don't say we all, some of us, I, we can be very lax about the way we use certain terminology that can be um, completely misunderstood or taken out of proportion, etc. Um, and like I said, we can make claims, we don't have to bring evidence, we don't have to go through the regular channels of checks and balances, uh, of um, personal accountability, of looking the person in the eye when you say that, etc. Right? 
And what I'm seeing as a result, perhaps, of all of this, or it's a web of lots of different things that are influencing it, um, is what we see in our call-out culture, in our cancel culture, in our shaming culture, in the all-or-nothing thinking and the lack of critical thinking, right, in the very black-and-white thinking, the polarized state uh, that we're in, both uh, in the world of parenting. I see this in a huge way. And I see it in, of course, other places too. You see it in uh, politics, for example, it's such an obvious uh, example, right? That it's it's all or nothing, uh, very, very polarized. But the worst type of thinking that I'm seeing online uh, that I think contributes to our anxiety as parents is the catastrophizing. And this loops back to that first idea that I shared around you know, anxiety is on the rise uh, when people use social media more. And uh, 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 the sensationalization of news, uh, etc., is part of it. And in, 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 the, in the cognitive field, they have an aim for that type of thinking. And it's called catastrophizing, where you basically take any issue and turn it into so much more, right? It's kind of making a mountain out of a molehill. It's the idea um, that things are so much worse uh, than they need to be, that things are so much more dramatic than they necessarily are in reality. Um, and this goes along with the inflation of terminology, right? Where instead of simply, oh, well, we disagree on this subject, uh, it becomes this, <laughs> it becomes this um, much worse thing that people are going to say about me or about you or about whoever it is that they disagree with. Um, it also lends itself in, in, a, in a big way to a lot of things that I think really cancel out our individual individuality. Um, because when you can't classify yourself, when you're not standing there physically and talking, you become just another, you know, gray box with blue text in it or whatever. And we aren't getting the full picture of where your thoughts come from, what your history is, what your um, what your temperament is, what your story is, right? We don't get that full picture. And so we just start to put people in boxes, right? We just start to assume, we make a ton of assumptions about what they must think about all the different things. And when they don't fit in the right boxes or when they surprise us with their box or whatever it is, then for some reason we get, you know, kind of angry or d- disillusioned or disappointed. One of the things that I see on social media that really bums me out is the lack of diversity of thought. Um, I know we talk a lot about diversity in the more surface level, right? Things like skin color and gender and ethnicity and sexuality. Um, And we are not talking about diversity on the deeper level, which is diversity of temperament and diversity of thought and cognitive uh, diversity. And those diversities, I think, are not celebrated on social media. It stays at a very shallow level of diversity of just the kind that you can see, which is just, you know, one and perhaps the least interesting thing that divides us as human beings instead of the diversity that we have of of our stories, of our perceptions, of our feelings, of our logic, of our patterns of thinking, of the way that we view the world, of our different lenses that we have. I think that's a much more profound and important uh, level of diversity, because in fact, that's actually where the biggest changes between people occur. 
um, much bigger than the differences between people of different skin color or people of different ethnicity or race or people of different gender or sexual orientation, etc. Much bigger than those differences is the differences that people have in their temperament and in their outlook on the world. Um, and those are the differences that I think are completely eradicated in many senses and flattened on social media. For example, one of the things that I think is incredibly sad about the current uh, landscape is the idea that we should judge people based on what content they're consuming. Right? I've seen this. I wonder if you've seen this. But it's kind of like if you want to diversify your thoughts and you want to follow uh, various parenting styles, call it, right, which I do. And I've always, uh, I've always said I want to learn from anyone. I mean, I may or may not agree and I may or may not take nuggets of wisdom from it. But I want to explore various philosophies and continuously open my mind because I'm never going to fit in one neat box and neither are any of my children. We're individuals. And so I'll learn about attachment parenting, right parenting, peaceful parenting, conscious parenting, simplicity parenting, unconditional parenting, homeschooling, unschooling, Charlotte Mason, Reggio Emilia, Montessori, Waldorf, public, mainstream, all the stuff. We're going to learn from all the different disciplines, uh, but then we're going to cherry pick what works in our lives from a place of respect that those disciplines are, uh, are fair enough. In fact, I've read parenting books that actually advocate for spanking, and I've disagreed with that particular point, but I've agreed with other points that they've made, and I've learned from them, and I'm so grateful um, for what they've taught me, even if that's a sticking point that we're not going to, we're not going to see, oh, I'm not going to adopt that bit, right? Whereas I recently saw one parenting, you know, guru's page, or whatever, coach's page, and she said, if you you know, if you believe in spanking or if you're even willing to talk about it on this page, you'll be blocked and erased and there is no place for that here. And, you know, I get it. Of course, we all have to draw our red line somewhere. I understand. Um, however, I think there's also something to be said uh, where uh, you need to actually know what stands on the other side, right, what the other options are, and explore them with a genuinely open mind in order to truly either, <laughs> either you get convinced, right, either you're open and influ influenceable, influence, influenceable, uh, coachable, right, either you are able to be influenced by them and you actually get convinced and you have a new point of view, which is wonderful, or you're not and then you stand even stronger in your own point of view. But the idea that ideas are somehow dangerous and somehow going to undermine us and somehow going to challenge us, and that I don't see why that's helpful for us as developing you know, strong mindsets, critical thinking, nuance, uh, real discourse, ability to have conversations and ability to listen. So... And this is not to be confused. I'm sure some people are going to be like, well, I know that you didn't allow certain conversations in your group. This is not, I certainly don't. Uh, I certainly believe on sticking on topic and I certainly believe on having respectful discourse. And I certainly believe in having uh, real boundaries and guidelines around how things are discussed, where things are discussed, when, with who, all of that stuff I think is crucially important. I don't think it should be a free for all for anyone to say anything they want to say in any platform at any time. However, um, the point that I was making about this particular spanking post was the idea that 
we may not want to shut down those conversations. Maybe if you're an advocate that spanking is not psychologically the best path forward or is even amoral, perhaps, is your stance, then perhaps having those conversations is actually going to be helpful, both to you and the people who you might be interested in uh, dissuading from that path. So telling people that this, you know, that we (laughs) will block you if you ask a question about it may not be uh, a path that really develops that kind of healthy and um, and uh, deep conversation that leads to genuine change and gen- genuine support towards the type of world that you might want to see. And I started that point because <laughs> I, I said that I have a concern that people are being judged by who they follow. And I am noticing that people say things like, well, they follow this account or they like that post and therefore I can't follow them anymore. And I, my mind just boggles at that idea. I just think that is the most bizarre idea ever, um, that we should judge people based on what they're learning, based on what they're listening to, based on what they're, <laughs> they're expanding their minds to. Um, I mean... I could understand it if someone was, you know, only and repetitively and loudly and repeatedly learning, you know, some very, very, I don't know, awful things. But I can't really think of anything. I mean, even when I was in high school and we studied the Holocaust, we read bits of Mein Kampf, you know, Hitler's book. I mean, we studied part of that. And that was because you need to know uh, what what people say. You need to know what people think. I think this, um, you know, this erasure of anything that we deem that we disagree with or that is wrong or that is bad in any kind of way is actually a very dangerous idea for our critical minds because it doesn't expose us to challenging thoughts. It doesn't expose us to ways to really strengthen and bolster our opinions and understand what we're up against in many cases or in some cases, not in the case of Hitler, but in other cases, maybe actually being convinced as I was when I read a book that spoke about spanking. Well, I was convinced about by part of it. I was convinced by stronger boundaries. I was convinced by clearer no's. I was convinced by being very, very clear with our children what is allowed and what is not allowed. I think that all is great. I just don't think using physical punishment is the right path to go for many, many reasons. So so that's my critical mind in action, right? That's me being able to discern which parts I'll take and which parts I'll leave. And I'm not seeing that happen on social media nearly enough. And that worries me a lot. So I guess to sum up this whole thing is the idea that really, I think we're not evolved for this. I think it's very early days. I think we're in a, a, a very tricky a social experiment, a new, you know, psychological, social, etc. experiment that is happening with these mediums. I'm not even going to get into the things that I don't understand, like all the censorship that's happening and the skewing of information. And I know all of the, all of these different, you know, conspiracy theories or real theories about what's going on um, in the platforms. But it's something that I'm I'm seeing uh, that you know these are very powerful algorithms that influence billions of people and their opinions. And it's certainly a concern to me that when we go onto these platforms, when we expose ourselves to them, 
we increase our sense of anxiety, we increase our sense of depression, we increase our sense of tribalism, uh, we get bombarded with scary information, we cancel people out and ruin people's entire lives over things they've said 10 years ago, over mistakes they made when they were little, or over things, a joke they've made now that just came off a little off color or a little strange or a little weird or a little uh, wrong perhaps, or even downright wrong. Um, but since when has that been the type of thing that um, that we want, the type of society we want to create where people's uh, people are being judged, not in a court of law, not according to, um, to the systems that are set up for that, flawed as they might be, but according to mob rule, you know, according to just, we, we did away with street shamings with public shamings in the 1800s. And yet here they are back again in uh, an ever more powerful way with reach to millions, maybe billions, um, and not just the people in the town. Uh, we, we did it away, we did away with it historically because it was too humiliating, because it was harsh and cruel punishment. And uh, people are being punished in a much more harsh and cruel way for things that seem far more benign and far more forgivable. If we, in our own homes, don't want to be people who uh, resort to shame, resort to name-calling, who lack nuance, who lack critical thinking, uh, we don't want to be calling each other out, right? I don't want to create a culture where I'm calling my kids out. I want to create a culture where I call them in. Same for my husband. Same for how I want them to treat me. Um, I want to create a culture at home where we presume innocence, right, where we're innocent until proven guilty, where we look for the most charitable, most generous interpretation of what people are saying. Uh, we look to be the most supportive and the most helpful uh, and not the most <laughs> the most righteous um, judges of people. Um, you know, where we don't look to catastrophize everything, but we actually look to look on the bright side and develop optimism and resilience and a sense of mutuality and reciprocity and the the concern for others where I, you know, I assume the best of you. And I assume that when you're saying that, you have reason to say it. And if you're saying something that's deeply flawed or mistaken, it's because you didn't realize that or because you have a different point of view from me uh, and not because you're evil in some way, right? I think we want to develop uh, family lives that um, have deep thinking, critical thinking, nuanced thinking, um, precise words, right? A precise and careful use of words where we actually realize the power of words and we try to use it with correct as, po as, correct as possible terminology and phrasing um, and not you know, labeling, name calling, um, blowing things out of proportion. And where we're, we're accountable for ourselves. We're not anonymous. We're not hiding behind a screen, but we actually say our truth and stand in integrity and speak, uh, you know, speak from the heart to the heart uh, and seeing the humanity in people, in all people. Um, and so if that's the type of lives that we're trying to create, that we would like to create in our home, and I hope you do, that's certainly the, the vision that I have for my family, then there is something deeply flawed and mistaken about how the interactions online happen. Um, I would hope that people would begin to read uh, other people's comments, posts, links, etc with a benefit of the doubt mindset and with the assumption that it's okay to disagree, that we can hold different views, even very opposing views, um, and that we still prefer people to be able to share their opinions, however clumsily <laughs> that they might do it. 
I would hope that we start to behave online in a way that we behave offline, where we speak respectfully, uh, where we don't speak out of turn, uh, where we uh, take people's humanity into account, where we realize that that words matter and that how we talk to people matter and that um, the things that we say um, go to a real person in the end, right? Go to a real person. And I want to speak specifically about mom groups because when I first joined social media and I had moved to a new country and I was by myself, there were a few parenting groups on Facebook that really, really helped me. You know, I was so isolated and so alone and it was so great to have a place to go to ask my questions. Oh, my baby's throwing up or I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about that. And I found it overwhelmingly positive in my life. But very quickly, (laughs) um, it became a source of great anxiety as some of the things that I posted, I was severely judged for or called names for or blocked from certain groups. I've told this story in the past that I asked a question about pacifier use and I was thrown out of of a group because I used a pacifier. I mean, these are the types of things that I think are just awful for people's mental health awful um, for for our society at large. Um, They really develop a sense of division and separatism and judgment that is so unhelpful and is not very, as I said, not very natural to our real uh, state of discourse in the real world. Although I know there are people who interact like that in real life as well, (laughs) but mostly not. Um, So yeah, so that's, so I would hope for all of those things. Um, But here's, here's ultimately the thing is that I think social media, as I've said in the beginning, it's a tool, right? And all tools can be used for good or for evil. And um, I think one of the ways that I think I I could best describe this tool is that old phrase, uh, that old um, saying that goes that fire is a good slave, but a bad master. And I think the same is true for these platforms. They're a good slave, but a bad master. In other words, when they serve you, Uh, when they actually help you do better somehow in your life, you get good information or you get good connections or you're able to keep up with someone, then that's great. But they very quickly and very insidiously and very slipperily, (laughs) slippery, um, become a bad master where suddenly um, they are, they, we are enslaved to the platforms. We are literally addicted Um, We get literal anxiety when we're on them and anxiety when we're off them. (laughs) It's like this double whammy of anxiety either way. And they are enslaving us on many levels, not just our time, right? I mean, it's frightening to think the amount of time that we're spending on there. It could be an entire career. It could be books that we write. It could be time spent with our kids. It could be working out. There's so much stuff we could be doing with that time. Um, So we're enslaved in that sense. We're enslaved in the sense that it gets us to spend money on things that we probably don't want or need because it's at the end of the day often an advertising machine, right? And we're enslaved in terms of our thinking because it will convince us uh, in various directions, right? It will basically indoctrinate us in various directions and that will that will enslave us as well. So again, if it serves us in getting information, it's one thing. But if it, uh, if it subconsciously uh, influences our decision-making processes and our uh, developments of theories and ideas in our lives, then that's another thing. And then I also think that it enslaves us in terms of the fact that we 
are unable to focus on real life relationships and realities. It takes us away from our real life. It takes us away uh, from the other things to the extent that sometimes, you know, the joke that, you know, if I don't post it on Instagram, it didn't happen. It's not such a funny joke anymore. Right? I think a lot of us really feel that way, that if there isn't a photo, if there isn't documentation on social media, then perhaps it didn't happen. Again, not something that we are evolved for, not something that we truly understand the impact of, not something that we're really we're really ready for. I think we're very much still in diapers uh, in terms of in terms of this technology and in terms of its influence and effect on our lives. I also think it has a flattening effect, right? It has this kind of flattening effect where everybody is is reduced to their account. Uh, there's also the vanity effect of how many followers people get, how many likes they get, right? That's another source of depression that people and anxiety that people have is how will this do? And then there's that overarching kind of future anxiety of how will this influence me in the future? You know, who knows what's going to happen in a decade? Um, am I going to lose my job or my marriage or my reputation because of some picture that I didn't even realize, uh, you know, is going to be misconstrued in a different way or interpreted in a different way in a different era? You know, uh, our parents' generations uh, were able to evolve at the speed that they could adjust to right, uh, terminology and what was considered uh, right and just and fair and unfair and, and evolved and wise evolved as did they, right? But the speed has picked up so very much uh, and now everything's documented. <laughs> That's a whole different level of anxiety um, that, I think, that I think is put upon us uh, through these platforms. And so I want to circle around to <laughs> perhaps a more optimistic uh, mindset, which is just to say, first of all, just to share that, as I said, my team and I are evaluating how we see these uh, platforms, how we are going to use these tools moving forward. And I think there will be some changes and adjustments that we do on, on the level of the parenting junkie. Um, because I, as you know, my mission is to really help parents to feel empowered in their life and to create family bliss. And I can't help but feeling there's been a, a, a pretty severe tilt in the scales uh, from the pros outweighing the cons to the cons outweighing the pros when it comes to being on social media. And I'm going to be looking for ways that I can support parents in a more intimate and more private setting perhaps uh, with a lesser dependency on these platforms in order to get these messages across and to interact and to create that sense of community. Um, and in my own personal life, I also feel this, you know, strong urge to pull back um, and to be less, uh, less involved, less engaged. I feel incredible um, surge in my mental health when I uh, when I take uh, and I do every weekend I take the weekend off of screens and now I've just taken two weeks off of my uh, social media and you know I can't help but notice that that helps me be a much better person <laughs> a much better mother a much better wife um, my attention is suddenly where it needs to be where the true uh, where the true work of my life, where the true meaning in my life, where the true relationships in my life exist. And so without discounting all of the wonderful things that social media has afforded us, um, I am thinking in terms of my role as, you know, as a mindset coach for parents, as a performance coach for parents, 
Do I need to take a stronger stance or a more helpful stance or a new stance on ways that we can mitigate this force in our life? Um, especially seeing as it's taken on lots of different um, lots of different forms throughout lockdown right throughout lockdown it suddenly became in the one hand a lifesaver because we weren't connected with other people and this is how we could um, and on the other hand perhaps more of an addiction more anxiety more stress around it um, yeah so that's something I'm contending with and I'm thinking about and I'm going to keep you posted on um, but it's certainly something that I think we need to consider so as I close this up I just want <laughs> to invite you invite you to consider if this is if social media at the moment is your servant or master um, and if it's your master how you can liberate yourself from that um, if it's technical things about erasing apps you know having your partner hide your phone from you or uh, changing your password to be much more difficult or certain apps that actually block social media etc or at least tracking your screen time usage every day to actually see how long you're spending there and then noticing starting to become self-aware of what you are doing there and what itch is it scratch what itch is it scratching <laughs> you know is it a lonely itch is it a uh, an itch that's looking for validation uh, or looking for entertainment um, and how can we get those needs met elsewhere and why might we want to do that i think those are all things that are worth considering Thanks for listening to The Parenting Junkie Show. If this was helpful for you, I would be so appreciative if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribing to the show means you'll get the bonus episodes that I only deliver here. And when you rate and review the show, it helps other parents find it. I'll be shouting out some of my favorite reviews in upcoming episodes and would love to spotlight you. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste. Namaste.